Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers nearly a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Are you looking to make better, healthier choices this year? Then let me help you out by introducing you to ButcherBox. ButcherBox not only helps you treat yourself to more delicious and wholesome meals, but it takes the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat with humanely raised beef, pork, chicken, seafood, and more that's delivered straight to your door. ButcherBox partners with folks who share their high standards and truly care about how animals are raised. Plus, they're B Corps certified, which makes me feel even better about my decision to be part of the ButcherBox community. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips. For free in every order for a whole year. Plus get, 20 per- plus, get $20 off your first order. That's right. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free offer and get $20 off. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. There are some cases that need no introduction. On January 15, 1947, Elizabeth Short's body was found, thus launching one of the biggest mysteries in true crime history. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924, in Boston, Massachusetts. Her life would take a particularly weird turn when, after the stock market crash of 1929, her father's car was found abandoned near the Charleston Bridge, thus leading everyone to believe that the financially devastated man jumped to his death. Elizabeth's mother worked hard to raise her five daughters as a single mom, and it was made more difficult when Elizabeth contracted bronchitis and suffered from severe enough asthma attacks that she underwent lung surgery at just 15 years old. After she recovered, doctors suggested she relocate to a place with a more mild winter climate, and Elizabeth moved to a family friend's house in Miami, Florida during the winter months. Then, shortly after dropping out of high school, Elizabeth's mother received an apology letter from none other than her thought-to-be-deceased husband. He was alive and well and had started a new life in California. So when she was 18, Elizabeth went to live with her father, a man she had not seen since she was six years old, which is why after just a short while living with him, arguments led to her moving out. 
Now on her own, Elizabeth began working at the Camp Cook, where she met Army Sergeant, who abused her. She moved to Santa Barbara in mid-1943, where, on September 23rd, she was arrested for underage drinking at a local bar. She was sent back to Medford by authorities, but made a detour back to Florida. There, she met and became engaged to a decorated Air Force officer, who unfortunately died just after she accepted his proposal in a plane crash just days before Japan surrendered and ended World War II. Heartbroken, she moved back to California and stayed in the Southern California area until the end of her days. Here, she spent time meeting new people, going on dates, working as a waitress, and living in a rented room behind a nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Some sources say she longed to be a film star, but it's impossible to know if this was simply conjecture or an attempt to make her story more cinematic, as she had no known acting credits or jobs during her time in L.A. On January 9, 1947, Elizabeth returned to L.A. after a brief trip to San Diego to visit a married man who she had been dating. This man, a Robert Manley, said he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel where she was supposed to meet her visiting sister for drinks. She used the phone in the lobby and was seen later that day by patrons at the Crown Grill and Lodge about 0.4 miles away from the Biltmore. And that was the last time anyone saw Elizabeth Short before her name would infamously be changed to the Black Dahlia by the press. On the morning of January 15, 1947, the naked, severed in two body of young Elizabeth was found by a mother who was walking with her three-year-old daughter in Leemert Park, Los Angeles. The woman who happened upon the grisly scene initially thought her body was that of a discarded mannequin. But when she realized what she was seeing, she rushed to a nearby house to call police. Elizabeth's body was completely bisected at the waist and drained of all of its blood meaning her scene, while horrifying, lacked the pooling blood that would normally have occurred. Her skin was extremely pale, washed, and upon her face was a Glasgow smile. She also suffered from a number of cuts to her thigh and breasts, with an entire portion missing from her skin. Her body was posed with her hands above her head, elbows bent, and her legs spread open. Underneath her bottom were her removed intestines. Forensics were able to determine that she had been dead for about 10 hours, meaning she either died on January 14th or in the early hours of the 15th. The scene quickly drew a number of passerbys and press, and soon photos of Elizabeth's corpse were splashed across every front page, and the Black Dahlia was born. But with the exception of a heel print, some tire tracks, and a cement sack containing watery blood, Nothing from the scene was helpful in determining who murdered this young, beautiful woman. Autopsies found additional ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, signifying that she was bound prior to her death. And the cut that severed her body was done with surgical precision post-mortem with a technique called a hemicorporectomy. She had some bruising on her skull, significant with blows to her head, and her anal canal was dilated to 1.75 inches, suggesting that she may have been raped, though no semen was ever found. Thanks to that recent arrest, police had her fingerprints on file and made an identification pretty quickly, though the press found out her name before her family did, and an eager reporter from the Examiner contacted her mother under the guise of a beauty contest to get personal information about the girl. It wasn't until they got all of the information they wanted for a good story that they informed Phoebe Short that her daughter had been murdered. 
They did offer to pay for her airfare so she could come to L.A. and assist with the investigation. Though even this kind gesture was an attempt to keep her away from other reporters and protect their scoop. This paper and many others would go on to paint Elizabeth as a scantily dressed party girl who, quote, prowled Hollywood Boulevard looking for a new conquest, further dubbing the crime a sex fiend slaying. On January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be the Black Dahlia's killer called the editor's office at the Examiner congratulating him on the coverage of the case. He went on to say that he planned on turning himself in after he allowed the police to pursue him for a bit longer and to expect souvenirs from Elizabeth in the mail. Three days later, a manila envelope showed up with cut and pasted newspaper clippings stating its destination was the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Inside was Elizabeth's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book belonging to a man named Mark Hassan. The packet, just like Elizabeth's body, had been wiped clean with gasoline. Therefore, no full prints could be found, and the few partial ones they were able to lift were compromised in transit and could not be properly analyzed. That same day, a purse with a black suede shoe was found on the top of a garbage can about two miles from where Elizabeth's body was found. They, too, were wiped down with gasoline, destroying all fingerprints. On March 14th, a suicide note appeared tucked in a shoe in a pile of clothing near the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice. It said, to whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that, or this. Sorry, Mary." there were no further clues acquired from the clothing. Despite the idea that the killer ended his own life, the Black Dahlia murder remains one of the biggest true crime mysteries of all time and has seen its fair share of suspects. Like Mark Hassan, whose address book was found in the manila envelope. He was a wealthy nightclub owner and owned the home that Elizabeth and her friends were living in at the time of her murder. Friends say that Elizabeth had recently rejected Mark, but police cleared him of any involvement. Another letter would come on January 26th, claiming that he would turn himself in on the 29th, but no one ever showed up at the designated location. Over 150 men were interviewed in the weeks following the murder, but even with 750 officers working the case and a $10,000 reward, all we have is a list of potential suspects, none of whom have had enough evidence against them to warrant an arrest. Men like trained surgeon George Hodel Jr., who was never formally charged, but whose own son is convinced of his guilt. Not just Elizabeth's murder, but several others, including his secretary, so she couldn't implicate him in the Black Talia murder. Or men like Dr. Walter Bailey, or Times publisher Norman Chandler, who some claim impregnated Elizabeth. Or Leslie Dillon, Joseph Dumas, Artie Lane, Mark Knowlton, Robert Manley, Patrick O'Reilly, and Jack Anderson Wilson. Or was she another victim of the Cleveland Torser murders? Or serial killer William Hirons? Or even the Chicago Lipstick Killer? The list goes on and on, and given how wildly the press covered the case, it's difficult to determine what is fact and what is wild fiction. Claims like that she was a lesbian, therefore couldn't be the temptress she was painted as in other papers. That she had infantile genitalia syndrome that prevented her from having sex or that she was a sex worker. 
Basically, rumors kept flying and, in the end, overpowered the tragedy of her brutal death. In the end, no one knows what happened to Elizabeth Short. And after all these years have passed, it's hard to believe we will ever know who committed the most famous unsolved murder in American history. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.